0: Well, I love that. Um, I love getting to hear from Michelle, and I love her... trying our best to be excited on video to welcome me back. So man, I am uh, so grateful to be back with you guys. My name is Chris Gretzu. I'm the campus pastor here at South Hills Costa Mesa. Uh, we're a family of churches. We had 11 locations and now we're online. So we've got like a billion locations and homes kind of all over the place. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be back. I've been able to be away for the last couple of weeks. Um, and uh, my family and I got a bit of a break. Um, we usually try and take some time off uh, in the beginning of August um, to just be together as a family, to rest, to recharge. Uh, I've realized it's so crucial for me uh, to be able to have kind of an extended time off. And so I really wanna thank you guys because uh, if it wasn't for you, uh, I would not have this opportunity to have some time off. And, and, um, and I really appreciate it so much. Uh, it's an, another amazing thing to be able to take time off Uh, and know that everything is going to be cared for. And so I want to thank um, the incredible staff and volunteers that do so much, um, because uh, what we're able to do um, or what uh, the church is able to do when I am gone is amazing. And I, I love the fact that I don't have to be here for an incredible church service, an incredible community and experience to happen, um so I'm I'm so grateful this morning the worship team just absolutely crushed it um uh, and uh, I don't know how anybody could sit still in their homes if you're watching uh in your home I mean just like an amazing job so uh, I did uh want to share just a couple things that I learned over the break a couple kind of realizations that I had um and uh, and just kind of share a couple things and then um we're going to move into uh, what we're talking about today um the first thing uh, the first thing that I kind of started to realize uh, over our break is that um, Palm Springs in August is not busy for a reason. Uh, it was like 120 degrees, uh, which is brutal. Um, but uh, it was actually great because what we needed was just to be able to slow down um, and uh, and just kind of take time to veg out a little bit. So we just went back and forth from a pool to air conditioning, uh, and, and that's about it. Um, but uh, one of the, the primary things that I learned um, and I, I heard this from another uh, leadership author and speaker um, when I was on my break and listening to some of this stuff. But he said that good time off will never be able to solve the problems that are caused by bad time on. Um, I'll say that again because it's a little bit kind of, of of a phrase. But he said good time off cannot fix, cannot solve the problems made by bad time on. Essentially, what he's saying is that a vacation will not be able to fix an unhealthy approach to work. Um, it, it is not able to remedy the damage that is done by working in an unhealthy way, whether it's working uh, overtime, whether it's not being able to shut it off, what, I mean, whatever, whatever the issue is, uh, and that really resonated with me. And, and not necessarily because I felt like I was being so unhealthy when I was working, but I just started to realize that the importance uh, for myself, and I think maybe for all of us, is not to work our tail off in hopes that one day we get a vacation that allows us to recharge. But the importance is to figure out what's a healthy way for me to work week in and week out, uh, because a vacation alone can't fix that. Uh, So that was a a good learning for me. And then the third thing um, is a little bit more of uh, kind of feeding my approach as we move into September, which is just a couple weeks away. In Genesis, in the creation story, the creation poem, it talks about how the Spirit hovers over the darkness and the chaos, and it talks about kind of everything that was formless at the at the beginning. And the Spirit hovered over that, and he he formed something out of that chaos. He made creation out of that chaos. And then, as it goes on later on in Genesis two and Genesis three, God is talking to Adam and to Eve, and he he says this phrase um, and. Uh, It's not very often that I read it in the King James Version, Um, but he says this phrase that we are called to subdue creation and have dominion over it. Um, And it's a really interesting phrase, uh, and the words chosen there are really interesting because you have, before uh, God created, it was chaos and formless, and, and it was kind of crazy. And God hovered over it and then made something out of that. And then God created and it was good. Each of the days of the week, he created and it was good, created and it was good. And then for Adam and Eve, for us as humanity, he said, now your role, one of the things I expect you to do is take this good thing that I have made and subdue it or have dominion over it. This idea of even though it's good, there is still an aspect of how do we take hold of what is in front of us? How do we take hold of it? Whether it's good, uh, whether it's chaos, whether it's formless, whether it's ideally what we want, we are charged with this responsibility to take hold, to, to have dominion over, to subdue what is in front of us. Uh, right now, in 2020, August 16th, 2020, there is so much uh, chaos. Uh, there is so much that is formless and void, as some might say. Uh, there are so many unknowns and questions and fears, and and there are restrictions that are being handed down to us, and and ways that we are being told that we can and can't do things. and And I'm not in any way trying to get involved in uh, a, a political or kind of a, an argumentative con- conversation on that side. What I want to say is. That regardless of the chaos and and what's formless and void and 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 not good, regardless of what is actually good, either way, we are called to subdue and have dominion over. And so these are words that we don't really use very much, but in my mind, as I look forward to September and look at what is to come, I'm starting to process through there's a lot that I cannot control, but I am called to subdue and have dominion over something. And so what does that mean for me to look at what can I control? Where do I have space? What are the, the areas or the categories? What are the relationships? What are the, what are the things in my life, whether it's relationally or financially or emotionally, that I can actually have control over? And what are the things that God is inviting me to actually say, no, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of unknown, in the midst of good and bad, I'm going to step forward and I'm not going to any longer just allow life to happen, but I'm actually going to take up this um, this part of who I am, who we are created in the image of God to to, to take something that is chaotic and, and, and painful, take something that is chaotic and good and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to do what we can with this, regardless of what else is happening. And so uh, how do we live in a way that takes hold of the possibilities in front of us, recognizing that every day is a choice, uh, it's not an obligation, uh, each day we have a choice of how we want to enter in. And so I'm going to talk more about this over the coming weeks. I'm so excited for September. We've got some incredible things planned. And uh, and so we, uh, we've we got a few weeks to get there. Um, we're in middle of August. Uh, the summer has been interesting, obviously, with uh, COVID. But then also, we've been wrestling on and off with uh, my five-year-old son. He's been having some health issues, um, largely related to like his stomach and uh, things like that. And um, Long story short, we've done a lot of doctor's visits and tests and all that kind of stuff, but we've realized that dairy is a huge trigger for him having like almost immediate stomach pain. Uh, He can have a little bit of dairy, cheeseburger, uh, milk, whatever it might be, and it's almost like an immediate amount of stomach pain for him. Uh, So it's really fun when you have a a five-year-old because... Uh, dairy is everything, you know, and so no pizza, no cheeseburgers, you know, all these types of things. And then he's got an older brother that gets to have all of those things still. And so it's been an interesting few weeks, Uh, but it's so sad to see your kid, uh, your five-year-old, the baby of the family who is still figuring out life, start to try and process what this means. When we were on our trip, um, our older son, you know, one of the, we asked each one of them, what do you want to do? What's one thing? What's three things you want to do on this vacation? And our older son, one of the three things he wanted to do was go to Dairy Queen uh, and which I was fine with because who doesn't like a blizzard? Um, and so, uh, we go to Dairy Queen and in my mind, like they've got all kinds of like slushy type things as well. They're like neon colored and full of sugar. And so my five-year-old will be fine. Um, but we're in the drive-thru and, uh, we go to order and, uh, I say, Arlo, okay, what do you want? You know, you can have kiwi, strawberry, whatever lifts off all the flavors and he picks. And then Mason, our older son says, I want a blizzard. And then Arlo says, well, I want a blizzard. And so then I have to turn around in the car and I'm like, buddy, like, I'm so sorry, but you can't have a blizzard because it'll hurt your tummy. And and just in the sweetest little voice that like breaks your heart, uh, he he said, is it, is it because blizzards have dairy in them, dad? Uh, I was like, yeah. And he's like, and my tummy can't handle dairy anymore dad. I was like, "Oh my gosh, it hurts so bad." Like, it's just so sad because, you know, you want your kid to be happy and and I want to be the fun dad that's able to do whatever, you know? And we have these things, but in that moment as a parent and what I've had to start to process uh, since then is that you know, I have to make a decision that his happiness in this moment is not worth his pain in the next moment. Uh, his, his happiness, the thing that he wants so badly in this moment, I have to be able to say no to that because I know the pain that it will cause him in the next moment. Uh, I, I have to decide that I love his health more than his happiness, uh, which is easy on paper. Uh, and it's easy when he's asleep and it's easy when he's not sitting in the car, teary-eyed saying, is it because blizzards have dairy in them? You know, it's, it's this thing, I, what 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 do I love more? Do I want him, uh, do I love him being able to be happy and have what he wants in that moment because that's the type of trip this is? Or do I love him being healthy and not having pain and, and, and the uh, implications of what all that means and And in many ways, this is kind of what we're talking about today. We're in this series called This Is Us. We're talking about our values as a church. Um, Not because I just want you to know what our organizational values are, although if you call South Hills home, that's a good thing. But we're talking about it because these values have implications for the way that we as individuals live, not just me as a pastor or me as a staff member, but but for you, for the way that you live, for the way that you show up at the office or, or on your Zoom calls or the way you show up in your home, the way you handle your finances, all of these values that we have, we believe that these are values that we find in Scripture that shape how God is calling us to live and, and gives us a picture of the way our hearts and our minds are intended to be transformed to become more like Christ. And so the value statement that we're looking at today is this phrase, we give up the things that we love for things that we love even more. We give up the things that we love for things we love even more. We give up the blizzards Because we love not having stomach pain, we give up the things that we love for things we love even more. This value, it immediately speaks to this idea of a willingness to sacrifice something good for something great. Uh, This idea of, if am I willing to sacrifice what matters most? Am I am I uh, or for what matters most? Rather, it it talks about this idea of intentionality and what's my priority and and what's the most important things in my life because I have to be willing. Obviously. to sacrifice bad things but sometimes it's actually giving up the good things things that we care about things that we love and and honestly for South Hills Costa Mesa this has been a part of our journey as a church uh, I'm so grateful you guys have embraced this value since we started in a junior high cafeteria that had no air conditioning. Uh, We had metal folding chairs. We had uh, a tiny closet that we put a couple babies in for a nursery. It was better than that, I promise. But, But our church, we started off embracing this reality of, man, it would be nice if things were more convenient. It would be nice if they were cooler, if we had more space, all of these things. But our church has always valued gathering together more than how cool the room was, both literally and metaphorically. So, our church, you know, the, the history of our campus from, from our launch, from the way that we grew, from launching additional services, from moving to a different school, from raising money and sacrificing uh, together to be able to, to build this uh, new space at 215 Baker, uh, this value has been embodied so well by our community as a church and I'm grateful for that. The conversation I want to have today is is really about how do we how do we personally embrace this value in our lives? Because beneath the value is this reality that we all love a lot of things, but we don't love all of those things equally. We love a lot of things, but we don't love all of those things equally. We we just we can't. It's not possible. Um, you know, the, uh, whether we realize it or not, we all have a, a hierarchy of sorts. The things that we love, the things that we care about, we may not think about it in a hierarchy, but the reality is, is that we all have kind of this subconscious list of what's most important and what do I love the most and what will I sacrifice the most for. We love some things more than others. And, and the question that we have to rec- wrestle with is, do we realize it? are we aware of what is most important in our hearts or are we fooling ourselves? Are we believing that one thing is most important, but actually the reality is that clearly something else is more important in our hearts? For example, I love to be entertained. Uh, I love entertainment, whether it's live music, movies, uh, concerts, um, whatever it is. I, I love this idea of being entertained. I also love my wife. And because I love my wife most, I will watch Angels baseball, which is not entertaining at all. Uh, there's these things that we just have to sacrifice. So we have to be willing to, to, to put aside because we love something more. Another example of this, more serious example, is that we love the neighborhood that we live in. We live in an amazing neighborhood. We kind of fell into this apartment eight years ago. Um, and uh, it's in a neighborhood that we probably will never be able to afford a house in, um, but because we love the neighborhood, because we love where we live, we're choosing that location over the style home. We, we're choosing, okay, we'll stay in an apartment because we love where we live. We love the area that we're in. You know? So there's a, there's a thing. We love both of these things, but one of them is more important. There's a priority that we're willing to move towards. Even when we're not aware of it, we're making a million decisions every day that tell the story of what we love and, and what we're most allegiant to The problem arises when I pretend that I love certain things more than I do or when I think that I love certain things more than I do, when I fool myself into believing that certain things have a higher priority than than other things. There's all kinds of examples of this. And I think maybe one of the classic examples that I've even had to wrestle with as a dad and as a husband is this idea of how important my family is to me. I say they are the most important thing to me, but do my actions show that? Uh, You know, how much time am I spending in the office away from them? Uh, Do I stay late a lot? Uh, How many games of theirs have I missed because I've been working uh, either somewhere else or maybe just because I've been working, texting or checking emails on my phone and I missed the goal or I missed uh, whatever it might be? Um, do I have a short temper because I'm frustrated all the time about work stuff? And so they end up getting uh, the, the wrath uh, of that type of stuff. You know, there's these realities that working is good, providing for your families is good. And, and so we want to continue to lean into that. And obviously that's, that's something that's so important, but we also have to say, well, what is most important? And how do I give my family the best? Now, this is one example, but you can extrapolate this question over so many things we have to wrestle with the reality that uh, this phrase, is what you say you love the most? Is that the same as what you show the most love to? I say that my family is priority, but is that what I'm actually showing priority to? I say that my marriage is my priority. I say that my faith or that my church is my priority. I say that my health is my priority, but how many Pie have I had this week? You know, there's all these questions that, that we we can say whatever we want. There's this classic phrase that we have always heard, and our parents have told us, and our grandparents have told us that actions speak louder than words. So we can say whatever we want, but what's actually happening, what is actually showing up, is what you say you love the most. Is it the same as what you show the most love to? you do when you realize that the honest answer to that question is not maybe what you hoped it would be? In Mark chapter 10, there's a story about a man who went to talk with Jesus. Uh, I want to read it. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 is where we're going to start. Um, it says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He knelt down and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good which I think is just trying to play like a little subliminal mind game with them, but we don't have time to look at this. And then verse 19, he says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely or lie about people. uh, You must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. Then in verse 20, uh, it says, teacher, the man replied, I have obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. I did it. I haven't murdered anybody. I've I've accomplished it. I've not stolen from people. I've honored my parents. I've, I've accomplished. I've done these things since I was young. Verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. He said, there's still one thing that you haven't done. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me. It says, go and sell all you have and give that money to the poor and then you will come, uh, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. It's interesting, it's, it's an interesting kind of passage because the reality is, is that this man, he had this question, there was something kind of aching inside of him. So he asked this question. He knows that something isn't quite right in his heart and in his mind and in his life. And so he goes and he asks Jesus this question. He clearly knows what the law required, what the scriptures required of him. And he had followed all of these laws, but there was still something that fell off. And Jesus, because it says he genuinely loved him, Jesus knew that there was something that this man cared about more than anything else. And that's what Jesus brought up. He says, sell all of your possessions and give that money away to the poor and then come follow me. And the man walks away sad because he had many possessions, it says. Now, this isn't specifically about money. This isn't specifically about possessions. This is about the thing that we value the most. Jesus was able to pinpoint in this man's heart what the most important thing was. That he was able to love money more than anything else and still follow all of the religious requirements. He was able to love his stuff more than anything else and still follow all of the Old Testament laws and all of the Old Testament commands. He was incredibly religious and still did not have his priorities set the same way. And we have to start to wrestle with this question. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for what I believe and what I hold most important in my own heart? He walks away sad, maybe because his priorities weren't as noble as he thought. Maybe because he knows he probably won't change them. He must've known that something was off. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone to Jesus to ask him the question in the first place. Now he knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly how to fix it, but he also knows that he is not going to. He knows how to fix the problem. He knows what's uh, out of whack in regards to his priorities. And he walks away sad because he realizes, I'm not going to make that change. I'm not willing to give up what I love for something that I love even more. I'm not willing to do that. I can't help but wonder how similar we might be to this man. Each of us, myself included, in and in maybe a dozen different ways. In our hearts and in our lives, there are these things that that we can sense. There's something off. There's something I'm not quite getting. It. I'm not quite running as fast as I want to. I'm not quite as as full of faith as I want to be, my relationships aren't quite as healthy as as I want them to be. There's something that we can tell that's off and and and, and we want to know what can I do to have this be changed? And the the answer to the question, I'm, I'm not sure we're ready for. What if we already know what to do to experience fulfillment in our lives, but we just won't do it. We don't want to make that change. What if we already know what to do to to have a healthier marriage, but I'm just not really willing to make that change? What if I already know what to do to, to be a better friend or a roommate or neighbor, but I'm just not willing to make that change? What if I already know what I need to do to be able to get out of debt or, or any of these things, any of these areas in our lives, and, and maybe we already know what it is actually gonna require of us, but like this man, we kind of just walk away, our, our faces fall into sadness because I just, I don't think I'm actually going to make that sacrifice. Sometimes we beg God to give us an answer, not because we don't know the answer, but because we don't like the answer he has already given us. We want him to give us, God, would you please help me fix this relationship? I know I can do it that way, but just any other way I can possibly fix this relationship. God, please help me to get out of debt. I don't wanna change my spending habits or get a second job or anything like that. Just please give me just whatever the answer is. Just as long as it's not those want anything, I'll do it. God, please help me build healthier relationships. God, please help me find purpose and fulfillment in my work. We ask God for these answers, not because we don't know. Oftentimes, we know what the answers are. We just hope that there can possibly be any other way besides sacrificing something that we love and i think that what we have to take a hard look at is that sometimes it's the thing that we love most we might think that my family or that my marriage or that being financially healthy or that finding purpose in my work or growing spiritually we might we might say like oh yeah that's my priority that's my value that's the that's the top of the list for me but are we really willing to make the changes, to make the adjustments, to embrace the answers that will that will show that to be true? I I don't know. We have to wrestle with this. I've already talked for too long. That's what happens when you don't preach for a couple of weeks. You forget how to do this in the right amount of time. I'm trying to figure out what to say and what not to say here. I think that the reality for us is that we have to start to recognize where the priority list is. We have to start to recognize, be honest with ourselves. I say that this is the priority. I say that this is the value. I say that this is what's most important for this season of my life, but are things actually adding up that way? Priorities and values, they can shift oftentimes in our lives. The priorities that I have now uh, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, they're different than they were 15 years ago, and that's okay. It's not a bad thing, but we have to be aware when they are shifting. And we have to be honest with ourselves about that. And so how can we tell? How do we check where our priorities are at? Uh oftentimes, you know, when you question somebody's priorities, people can get defensive and say things like, you don't know me. Uh, you don't know what's in my heart. Um, but the interesting thing is that scripture actually says that we can we can actually learn some of these things. Maybe we don't always have exact clarity, but uh, in Matthew 6:21, Jesus says, well, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Jesus tends to think, uh, and I try to agree with him usually, uh, that the things that we put our money towards generally end up being the things that our heart cares about the most. Um, He went on in Luke 6. He also said, you know, the heart, which you don't know what's in my heart. You don't know me. Jesus says that the heart overflows in the words a person speaks. Your words reveal what's in your heart. Uh, There is this reality for us that we have to start to acknowledge that what we say and how we spend reveals what our love hierarchy looks like. What we say, how we talk to each other, the things that we say to to our closest friends, the things that I wouldn't tell everybody this, but I'll tell you this because I can trust you. Even those things that we say, it reveals what's in our heart. The way we spend our money, the way we prioritize or budget or maybe don't budget our finances, it reveals what's in our heart. These are two kind of guideposts for us. Uh, There's maybe other ways and they don't show every detail, but it's something to be aware of. We have to recognize. Some of us talk about how important God's love is. We talk about this this reality about, man, God is so loving and I'm so grateful for his grace and the way that he accepts me. And, And we say these types of things, but We also then talk trash and talk poorly about God's family and God's children. There's a a dissonance between what we say and what's actually coming out of our hearts. Some of us talk about the importance of community, but we say things in a way that ostracizes or that minimizes other people's experiences that are in our community. We say, I love church. I love that we're diverse. I love that we have people from all kinds of backgrounds, but then we say things in a way that actually pushes those differences away and it makes people feel other or less than. The difference between what we say and what's flowing out of our hearts, it shows up and it gives us a clue. Some of us say that God is our provider, that he is the one that cares for us, but we refuse to trust him with our finances. We refuse to handle our money in a way that honors God. So we say something, but we act a different way. Some of us want God to bless us. Man, God, would you please just, would you pour out your blessings? Everybody, I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to know that God can open up the storehouses of heaven and pour out a blessing. Tenf- I mean, it's like everybody knows those verses and we want that, but we refuse to bless other people. We refuse to be generous with other people. We refuse to, to take some of the little that we have and say, you know what, I've got enough. And so what if I did this special thing for you? even though I'm not rich, even though I'm not wealthy, even though I don't have it all, man, what would it look like for me to, there's this, this dissonance between what we want God to do, between what we, what we say, what we, what we say we care about the most and what we're actually showing up and doing in our lives. We've been told what the answer is to experience emotional healing, relational health, financial peace, spiritual growth, we've been told what it looks like to to experience these things we are just crossing our fingers and biding our time hoping that there will be another way that there'll be another solution last year i think i told this story last year my tooth was hurting for a couple of weeks and uh i it was pretty miserable if you guys have had like tooth pain like that before you you know and there was this reality of like, man, I, I know that I can call the dentist and make an appointment and I know that they'll be able to fix it. Um, and so obviously I chose just to wait it out and see, <laughs> maybe, maybe the pain will heal itself. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's ridiculous. That's a real decision that a grown adult made. Uh, but we make these decisions in every aspect of our lives. We know like, man, that's not going to get me there. This way that I'm living, this way that I'm thinking, the way that I'm spending, the, way, the time that I'm spending reading scripture and spending in prayer and spending with my faith community, I, I know that that's not gonna get me to where I wanna go, but, but maybe if I just keep doing the same thing, I'll get something different next time. Maybe I'll experience a healthy marriage next year. Maybe things will just turn around in my finances randomly by doing the same thing that I've always done. We have to recognize when what we say is not matching up with what we do. And we have to be honest with ourselves. And there's no reason to be ashamed about that unless we refuse to see it. Unless we refuse to acknowledge it. That's the only reason why that would be embarrassing. This poor man walks away sad because he recognizes that he will not do the things that he needs to do to experience the wholeness and the fulfillment that he longs for. I don't want us to have that experience. What would it even look like if we actually began to put God first in our lives? What would it look like if we put God first in our speech? What would it look like if we put God first in our, in our, uh, the way that we show up in our communities? What would it look like if we put God first in the way that we handle our finances? if In the way that we engage with others? In the way that we care for our neighbors? What would it look like if we started to do that? In Acts chapter uh, 4, well, it's all about, all of Acts is about the first church and the way that it starts. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it has a couple of verses that pastors read a ton. Uh, and, you know, it, it feels like these crazy verses um, that never could be possible. Uh, but I want to read those. Because it's interesting, it's verse 32, it says, All of the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them, and they would bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. This is a crazy couple of verses. And as we read those things, it's like there's something thrilling about it. There's something exhilarating about it. There's something about that that, that verse of like, man, that is amazing. Nobody was in need because they would literally just sell their stuff to make sure that other people had enough. Everybody, there's, There's something exciting and thrilling about it. And then almost immediately after, we were like, that's crazy. That could never work. We could never do that now. This is, I think, the challenge that we have practically as individuals, as a church family, uh, as a community. We get thrilled and exhilarated by the idea of what is possible and immediately like, that's crazy. There's no way that could happen. Because we're not willing to give up what we love for what we love the most. That's the rub. That's the tension that we carry in our hearts. We get thrilled. Man, what if I made it home from work every day by five? That would be amazing. That's crazy. There's no way I could do that. Man, what if I had a date night with my wife once a week? That would be amazing. That's not going to happen. I can't make that happen. Man, what if, what if I was able to grow in my faith? What if I was able to grow spiritually and, and start to learn some of these verses? I'd like to memorize some. What if I felt like I was connecting with God on a more regular basis? That would be amazing. What, man, I don't know. That, that doesn't feel very possible. That doesn't feel realistic. Just, that's crazy. That's not gonna happen. We start to be exhilarated by what is possible, by what God is inviting us into. And then immediately we say, I don't know if that's possible. Because it comes down to this question that we have to answer. Are we willing to give up the things that we love for the things that we love even more? Are we willing to give up the things we love for the things we love? Are we willing to give up a little bit of that five star shine that we have in our workplace because we're always the last ones there and the first one first ones in, last ones out? Are we willing to give that up? A little bit of that shine because we want to be able to be home by a certain time? Or am I willing to pay the money to get a sitter so that I can have a date with my wife or with my spouse once a week or once every other week? Am I willing to do that? We have to wrestle. Am I willing to give up the things that I love for what I say is most important for the things that we love even more? A challenge for us is to wrestle with that. So, very quickly, because I'm already over. I'm already late here. But very, uh, I want to give you guys some practical tips on what we can do here um, to predecide some of these priorities. Uh, these are specifically around what does it look like to prioritize our relationship with Jesus, uh, and if we can start in this place, then we can really start to see the way it shows up in our relationships, and our finances, and our emotional health, and our uh, you know fulfillment and sense of purpose and work. So there's a few. Uh, suggestions of practical places to start. Um, The first one is to, uh, for some of you, it would be to to commit to being a part of a church on a consistent basis. Now, there's a lot of people that call South Hills home. Uh, There's a lot of people that are watching online that may not consider South Hills to be their home yet, or maybe you're just checking it out for the first time, but but what does it look like for you to say, I'm going to find a a community of people, a a church to commit to on a regular basis. I'm going to be a part of this. Uh, And for those of you that do call South Hills home, the last five months have destroyed every rhythm and pattern that we kind of had in our lives. What does it look like for you to, to double down and say, you know, I need to make this a priority again? Um, for those of you that are watching and engaging online, I want to make this a priority on Sunday mornings when service is live. I want to log on. I want to be a part of my church family. Or if, for those of you that are coming to the 1030 services in person outside, I, w- I want to make this a priority, a regular routine for me. Uh, for some of you guys, a, a practical next step would be to take that next step in your faith. Um, we try and make it as easy as possible for people to do that. We all have steps to take in our faith, whether you're a Christian for your whole life or you're still exploring, um, we all have ways that we can grow. Maybe it's by signing up to take Discover and learning more about your faith and where it comes from and what does it look like now. Maybe it's uh, getting baptized. A couple of weeks ago, we had a baptism here, which was amazing. Maybe it's, maybe it's taking that step. Maybe it's joining a, a life group or leading or hosting a life group. There's these steps that we can take. And if we say that we want to grow, we want to become more like Christ, what does it look like for us to be willing to take a next step? Um, maybe it's signing up to serve. Uh, for some of us, many people have, have been doing this, but maybe for some of us, it's, it's learning to trust God with our finances, both in how we handle our finances on the day-to-day, but also in the way that we tithe or we give generously. What does, that, what does it look like for me to, to reprioritize things in that sense? There's probably a thousand different ways that we can set the priorities in our life around growing spiritually and engaging more with Jesus. Um, I don't know that it matters as much which one you take. But I think for most of us, the invitation is to choose one, to pick one, to say, here's where I'm going to lean in. I'm going to sacrifice X so that I can lean closer into my relationship with Jesus. I'm going to sacrifice X so that I can have a healthier marriage or a healthier friendships. I'm going to sacrifice X so that emotionally I can be in a healthier place because that really is more important to me than these other things. I hope that you will take a step like that with me, because I'm not immune to these things. Over the last month, I have had to make some really hard steps and and make some big changes personally, because I saw that there was a dissonance between what I was saying and what I was experiencing. And so my hope this morning is that you would be willing to take the terrifying and courageous step to give up what you love so that you can have something that you love even more. Let's pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.